You're going to hear this subject matter and think that it's entirely about Deontay Johnson. It's not, I swear. But a lot of it is. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. And this is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Penguins and Pirates, the other two teams I cover. I hope you'll check those out as well. The Steelers as a team in the 2022 season had 1,458 yards after a catch. Now, that's whether it was a wide receiver, tight end, running back, quarterback, whoever. Every single catch. Again, the number was 1,458. means nothing to you without context, right? Obviously. Okay. That total ranked 29th in the 32-team NFL. That total amounted to 85.7 yards after the catch per game, or four even, exactly four yards per catch. Now, if that sounds very, very low, even without hearing the league ranking, that's because it is. And that might be the single greatest variable area, if you will, of this offense going into the coming season. You know, we can talk till we're blue in the face about Kenny throwing intermediate routes, hitting people across the middle. We can talk about Kenny and the deep ball. And it's absolutely fair territory, whether it's on Kenny, whether it's on the receivers, whether it's on Matt Canada, it's fair territory. You have to have a certain percentage of chunk plays, splash plays, whatever you want to call them, in order to have a sustainable offense. You can't just grind it out all the time. And if you do grind it out and you're successful at it, you should still be using that to catch the other team off guard with one of those chunk or splash plays. This team, it probably has the deep threat that it needs in George Pickens. George needs to be utilized a lot more smartly. George needs to do more than just run in a straight line. But you know what? As long as you have George, you might as well have him run that straight line, but also with the ball thrown to him because you've seen what that looks like, right? The 50-50 ball to George is seldom a 50-50 ball. He's going to be the one who goes up there and gets it. And unlike Chase Claypool, the last guy they had in that role, he's not going to trip over his own feet or whatever in getting it. But I would still argue that what's needed more than anything else is to catch the ball and then do something with it. Now, not everybody, in fact, nobody can be Antonio Brown at his peak. We were really, really spoiled by that guy. And maybe you could even argue as well in different ways before A.B., With Heinz Ward on all the extra yardage that he picked up. Not the fastest guy, but the toughest. And he found a way to get through. How about Antoine Randall-L when he'd catch the ball? I'm going back a little bit further, but you see what I'm talking about here. It doesn't all have to be Mike Wallace or Martavis Bryant. It can be catch and run. How about the rookie version of Juju Smith-Schuster? 
before he had the knee trouble. Juju could catch that ball on a quick slant, and 75 yards later, he'd be gone. Remember that in Denver? Remember it in Cleveland? Now, who's the best equipped to make that happen? Well, we're going to start with the obvious guys. I'm going to repeat their names. Kenny has to be flexible enough and do well enough to read defenses to be able to hit those guys in stride. Now, that doesn't matter if Canada can't construct more passing routes that allow guys the flexibility to go, let's say, diagonally through a dangerous area, but also put themselves into a position where they just might find, if they can beat one guy, an awful lot of grass in front of them. It also will come to Calvin Austin. He knows that. He's accepting that responsibility. He does not see himself as just a return guy and a little squirt bug who's going to run end arounds. He very much sees himself. And this is someone, by the way, that I spent a lot of time talking to through these summer workouts as a wide receiver who can catch the ball in space somewhere and then find the next tier of space. That was his thing. He will find that grass. And once he does, he's close to impossible to catch. And if that sounds over the top, just wait, okay? You'll see him for yourself. Now, all that said, all you've been waiting for me to do through this entire segment is to bring up Deontay. No, your eyes are not lying to you when they tell you that all this going backward is killing him and killing this offense. And it really makes no sense. Because on one hand, you talk about Deontay and you give him his credit as being one of the three or four best in the entire league at gaining separation to make the catch. As Ben Roethlisberger once said of Deontay, he cannot be covered. Kenny has echoed that. And it's accurate. So why can't he apply all of that same extraordinary quickness, the pivot ability, the twitch muscles, and everything else that goes into his route running into running forward? In 2022, Deontay accounted for 235 total yards after the catch. Remember I told you that the Steelers averaged Four yards after the catch across the board, Deontay's average was 2.7. On top of that, and I'm convinced these are all connected, he only had eight broken tackles all year long, which is one more than the number of drops that he has, but that's not what we're talking about today. And that's not it. That makes no sense. The running backward makes no sense. When A.B. did it, A.B. got away with it. A.B. could do that backward thing. But you know what? He didn't always do it. He didn't do it on every single catch. He only did it when he thought he sensed or saw something. Because there were also actually many, many more times when A.B. would do that juju thing that I just described. He would just catch the ball, see grass, and just keep right on going as if it was nothing. Maybe that can be coached out of him. Maybe it can't. Maybe he can see it for himself. Maybe he can't. I don't know on either count. I do know that it would make a very, very big difference for the entire offense. When we come back, J1Q. 
This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our good friends at Mike's Beer Bar. They're located on Federal Street, directly across from PNC Park. Mike has more than 500 beers on tap, including from more than 50 local breweries. Stop in and say hello. Tell Mike we sent you. Mike's Beer Bar. Today's J1Q comes from Paul, who says, Hey, DK, I listen to you on the YouTube channel every morning and have recommended you to many of my Steelers fan friends and family. I appreciate that, Paul. He has a whole bunch of other things that are really nice to say. I I thank you for those. We're going to skip ahead to your actual question. I know it's really early right now, Paul asks, but what does your gut tell you? Playoffs or not? I can answer this one with another question, Paul, and that is where do you think the Steelers rank right now within the AFC North? I'm not one of those people who gets to the projections from the final two, three weeks as to which AFC team has the best in-conference record. You know what I'm talking about, all that stuff where you're you're finding yourself measured against the Titans. Aren't they always the team, right? It's always about them. Uh, Do you have a better record head-to-head than the Titans do? How did you do when you played them in Nashville and all that other stuff? To me, the controlling of your own destiny is the way to approach these things. I see the Steelers as being highly competitive within the division. I say that partly because of the things that I talk to you about every day here, but I also say it partly because, honestly, there's not a team in the division that just flat out floors me. And I'm going to include Cincinnati in that. Yes, of course, I'm aware of what they have on offense. I'm also aware that that hasn't taken them where they want to go yet. So how great really are they? Also, I feel like people perennially underestimate Joe Mixon and the impact he has. Well, Joe's been around for a while, and running backs don't last for a while. So one of these days, that in and of itself is going to be a declining factor. I'm also not blown away by what Cincinnati's got defensively. I don't like some of the losses they had in their secondary. But in general, not to start breaking all these teams apart, I, I just I look at The combination of the Bengals, Ravens, and in particular the Browns, and just say, okay, who among these teams can the Steelers not beat? And I don't mean beat as in like on a given Sunday as if it'll be an upset. But look at the results just this past season. Were they competitive with the Bengals? Well, they split. When they had T.J. Watt in the lineup, they were competitive. Were they competitive with the Ravens? Sure they were. Were they competitive with the Browns? Absolutely. And that was last year. So again, if you look at it from the smallest possible perspective, which is how do you think your team can do inside the division? And I don't just mean those six games. I'm talking about you know how you stack up with how you face the rest of the league against those three teams. I see plenty to like. I see a top two finish in the division. 
And within that, I see a playoff spot. So that that's going to be my answer for you. If that sounds like I'm conditional or hedging or whatever, yeah, so be it. But that that's what I see. I see the Steelers as being a good AFC North team. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. We're going to do another one of these tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.